I started reaching out to celebrities because I knew that celebrities were very influential when, when they weren't pregnant. So I would reach out to any celebrity that was pregnant. And I frankly had almost a hundred percent success rate because no one else was trying to dress pregnant celebrities back in the late nineties. Nobody. You gotta pick yourself up, go backwards and slam yourself at the wall like 500 more times until the wall crumbles. 25% of middle school girls already believe they'll never achieve their dream career. Dream career. Hi, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. Hint. And you're Hint. listening to Unstoppable, a podcast spotlighting the journeys of inspiring entrepreneurs. I believe that at its core, leadership is about constantly learning from the people around you. And I'm so inspired by the conversations we're having in our upcoming episodes and can't wait to share them with you. This season, some of my guests include Andrew Dudham, founder of Hims, Erica Nardini, CEO of Barstool Sports, Daniel Dubois and Whitney Tingle, co-founders of Sakara Life, and much, much more. Plus, we asked the million dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Unstoppable. Let's find out. Hi, everybody. It's Kara Golden from Unstoppable with Kara. And I'm here with somebody super, super special that I'm so excited to have on our show today. Her name is Liz Lang, and very, very, very excited to have her. For those of you who do not know who Liz is, I have to tell you, so as many of you know, I have four children, and when I was pregnant with my first child, and this was, I guess, 20, a little over 20 years ago, crazy, crazy how time flies, I stumbled upon Liz's, I think it was your first kind of store or it wasn't even really it was on the upper west side is that right on the upper east side but it was on the second floor right? on the upper east side it was on the upper east side on the second floor and i think i may have read an article about it and it looked like exactly the kind of clothes that i really wanted and so i stumbled in there and i think i bought one of everything liz really really in my mind was like the first person to understand that just because you're pregnant doesn't mean that you have to wear dumpy, yucky clothes. And especially if you're going to work every day and you know wearing suits and, and very, very cool clothes. So I remember the black pants very specifically, how great they were and they saved my life. And as, I mentioned, as I've mentioned to Liz before, I think I sold, I worked at AOL at the time and I think I sold a bunch of pairs uh, just by wearing them, people were like, where did you get those pants? And so anyway, when I uh, finally got to meet Liz, and that was my story for Liz, that I was just, I've been, you know, fanning over her for years and years as somebody that is not only a great entrepreneur and not only super stylish, but just somebody that has just built a brand that has stuck right? And done lots of different things. So anyway, really, really, really excited to have you here, Liz. Welcome. Thank Welcome. you. So Liz, just a little bit more on your background. In addition to that, you started at Vogue. Is that correct? And that is right. A long, 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 long time ago. Yes. Wow. What? That's so much fun. And developed the idea for a sophisticated, slim fitting collection of maternity clothing. And really, like I said, changed the face. I think many people would agree with me in maternity fashions. And it's been worn by not only myself, but all kinds of other beautiful pregnant 
celebrity women, including Kate Hudson, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Blanchett, Julia Roberts, Brooke Shields, goes on and on and on. So Liz, and then the other thing that Liz has done, which I think is really, really amazing, and, and I think one of the first kind of big brands too that I saw was built a brand within Target. So the Liz Lane collection at Target, which is super, super terrific. And anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. Very, very excited. Yeah. So so take us back to the beginning of Liz Lang and, and kind of where did you come up with this idea? I mean, how many people are working in, you know, at a magazine like Vogue and then decides, I'm just going to go and start this amazing maternity line. Tell us a little bit about that. It was actually a step in between. So I'm working at Vogue. I'm introduced to this young, struggling designer, fashion designer. I leave Vogue to go work for him. While I'm there, I'm loving it. I'm learning a lot about the fashion industry just by doing it all. He's struggling and my friends are getting pregnant because I'm like you, I've got a you know 21 year old, I'm a 19 year old. So it's that time in my life. This is you know about 22 years yeah. ago, 23 years ago, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, it's, a, it's a long story, but the short of it is he was struggling. I noticed my pregnant friends were complaining about maternity clothes and squeezing themselves into the things that he designed. And I had this like aha moment that pregnant women, and this was back in the 90s, so I know it's different today. Pregnant women want to wear clothing that is fitted which they were not being offered back then. And pregnant women will spend money on maternity clothing, particularly working women, because they have no choice. They, their body's changing. Nothing in their closet fits them anymore. I used to say it's almost like, imagine you, there's been a fire at your house and your closet's burned out. So yes, you were going to shop. You have no choice. So I noticed, okay, they're spending money and they want different things than what they're being offered in maternity stores. So I turned to this designer, because I'm not a designer. You and I didn't go over it, but you know, I went to Brown. I majored in comparative literature. Like I like fashion, but I'm not a designer. So I say, I think I have an idea. I think it's going to turn around your business. You know, I'm about 28 years old, all full of like enthusiasm and can do. So I was like, you know, this is it. We're just going to turn around your business. We're just going to add the word maternity to your label. We're not going to change anything. Just see what happens. And he looked at me like I had 10 heads, like I might've been smoking crap. <laughs> Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now. Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week, too like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. 
That's code GOLDEN50 at Factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Like, and like, that is the way that the world felt about maternity clothing yeah. back then, to be honest. So, you know, like so many different entrepreneurial stories, I think every story in this one respect is the same. I found myself up every night. I couldn't get the idea out of my mind. I finally realized that if I didn't do something, if I didn't try to design the line of maternity clothing that was in my head, if I didn't do this and someone else somehow did, that I just wouldn't be able to forgive myself. I, you know, I was like, I won't be able to go on living. So I left him and I started Liz Lang maternity with you know very, very little knowledge of what I was doing on any level. So how did you finance the original? You know, I was very fortunate and people like to say now like, oh, Liz, it sounds so brave. You just jumped in. I, I, you know, I always like to clear up that misconception. I don't think I was particularly brave. I was probably quite stupid. I was 28 or 29. I was married. I didn't have children yet. I don't think I was at risk of starving if it didn't work out. I believed I could get another job. So, and my husband worked and I was able to borrow money from my parents incrementally. They would like help me pay different bills and I kept my costs super low. It's something I wish I saw more startup entrepreneurs is doing today. There was no concept back then of like entrepreneur raising money that that like it wouldn't have crossed my mind. So I'd say, you know, over the course of a few months, 
My parents lent me about $25,000, which is not a small amount, but they were very clear with me that after three or four months, if I were to continue to need money, well, then they wouldn't be able to keep giving it to me because that would just be more of like a hobby and not really a business. And so they didn't see business as something where you could project losing money for years and then start making it. So I didn't see business that way yeah. either. So I knew I was kind of on a tight deadline, but my costs were super low. That's awesome. And I just started money right away. It wasn't that hard given how low I kept my costs. I mean, I didn't have any employees. I didn't have a store. I didn't, I barely had an office and I didn't stock inventory. So who was doing like maternity wear at that time? I mean, it was like, who were your biggest competitors? It never really felt like this is such a, like, you know, I know this is a entrepreneur thing to say, but I never really felt I had any competition back then. There were some well-known maternity brands, the best known one, and I'm not criticizing them and they've changed a lot mm -hmm. over the years by the way was a publicly traded company whose high-end stores were called p in the pod and their medium level stores they're like we used to call like the contemporary market or the missy market they had a line called mimi maternity so it's p in the pod and mimi maternity and they were owned by the same brand they were this they were owned by the same parent company so i didn't think p in the pod back then used to advertise itself as being the bergdorf goodman of maternity clothing. And I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with Bergdorf Goodman, but you know, think Neiman Marcus, think the most expensive exclusive store in the world. I knew Bergdorf's very well. I grew up in New York City. So I when I checked out Pee in the Pot and I saw what it looked like, I kind of almost gasped. Like my jaw was on the floor because because it didn't look anything there was nothing Bergdorf Goodman yeah. about it. The racks, everything was just pushed together like almost like very like more what again I'm dating myself, but more like Filene's bargain basement, not like Bergdorf Goodman. Yeah. It wasn't like such tones of beautiful clothing. And the clothes themselves just felt oversized. They felt babyish looking. What I mean is like almost like you were morphing into a baby rather than you were expecting a baby. Like everything had bows and everything was very, very oversized. And mostly it was pale pink or pale blue. I guess you wore the color of the baby you were supposed to be having. You know, I was surprised. And then I understood almost immediately why friends of mine were spending money again. This is the nineties at like Calvin Klein and Donna Karen and all these really expensive labels trying to get just some clothing that looked basics. Yeah. Basic. Yeah, exactly. And we were all at an age like you were where we weren't the most senior person at our job. We couldn't be just by virtue of our age. So even those of us who had gained some early success, we still worked for other people, insecure. Nobody wanted to walk into their office, say, hey, I'm pregnant and I'm also dressing like a baby doll. Like it was just, you know, really awful. Yeah. Were the black pants one of your... It was like, that was a key First, piece, yeah. but I had this idea back then. And again, it was all the way the people dressed in the nineties, but I was, I was influenced by Donna Karen. I think she had like eight easy pieces. I could have the number wrong, but I decided that I would have like the five or six essential pieces and you could get them in black, brown, or navy. And that was it. And I invested in this somewhat expensive stretch fabric out of Italy, this Italian stretch. And I didn't make any of the clothes. I just had the fabric. So that was an expense. And the idea was I made one of everything. There was a pant, a dress, a tunic top, a, a little jacket. There was a cashmere twin set, a skirt, yeah. a pencil skirt, I think. And the idea was you picked your color and you could just get a, you know the whole look in that color. And then you could mix and match. You could make a whole multitude of looks. And I made them all to order. I found a factory in New York City that would make them and would give me a two-week turnaround time. So I was, again, dating myself. I was faxing them orders every night. So, you know, if you came in, then I would just be faxing your order. And then two weeks later, if you were in New York City still, you'd pick it up or I'd drop it off at your hotel or maybe I'd send it to you in California. 
just, I was the doing everything person. Yeah. I did it all. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so did you ever, did you have stores as well? Oh no. no. I mean, that was later. Yeah. I had a little office. It had no windows on the street. It was on East 61st street. Cause I lived on East 61st street and I noticed a for rent sign across the street. Yeah. So it was a little office where you could come see me. And at that office, you could call me and make an appointment to come. And I had one, one item, like one skirt, one dress, one, whatever. And you could try that on. And I had it sort of in every size. And then I would make it for you later. You know, within a year, it had taken off in a huge, huge, huge way, much bigger than I ever expected. And I was able to open the store that you visited, which was a little second floor shop on Lexington Avenue. And then after that, with the success of that store, I was able to open a huge flagship on Madison Avenue, another store on, on North Beverly Drive in Beverly, and a third store in Long Island. Yeah. And, you know, and all sorts of That's other amazing. So, so you talk about how it really took off then after a year. So what... Like, what was it as an entrepreneur? I mean, when did you know, wow, I've really hit it? Like, did you feel like consumers, like who was driving? Were people throwing money at you, trying to invest? Often my answering machine would be, I can't accept any more messages. I started getting an enormous amount of press. Press meant a lot back then. It was pre, it was bordering on pre-internet, but it was certainly pre-social media. So press meant everything. I started reaching out to celebrities because I knew that celebrities were very influential when, when they weren't pregnant. So I would le- reach out to any celebrity that was pregnant. And I frankly had almost a hundred percent success rate because no one else was trying to dress pregnant celebrities back in the late nineties, nobody. So no matter who was pregnant, no matter how famous they were, you mentioned a bunch of them, but honestly, like, you know, Cindy Crawford and Paulina Poroskova, who were top models back then, and Elle McPherson. And I was dressing Kelly Ripa every single day when she was pregnant, doing uh, Live with Regis and Kelly. When Julia Roberts made Oceans, what was it, 11 or 12, she was pregnant, and I did all the costumes for her. Same with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Anytime they had to go to an award show. So like, it was just, you know, that kind of thing became like this huge multiplier. That's amazing. And most of these people were coming to you, or like, were you? At the beginning, I was reaching out to them. No, they didn't know who I was. I was reaching out to their manager, their assistant, their publicist, any any phone number I could get. Again, pre-internet, it wasn't as easy. And they were all saying, sure, I'll send so-and-so in to see you if you, you know, sure. And then yes, it started to go the other way. And celebrities were calling me, which was super cool. I, you know, I still remember when Julianne Moore called, she introduced herself as Julie, Julie Moore. It's like Julie Moore, Julie Moore. Oh my God. So freaking out about it. That's awesome. That's so that's so great. So well, I always think about how entrepreneurs, I mean, most great entrepreneurs today, and I, I think, you know, you're just a great example. You haven't You've gotten bigger, but you haven't lost your scrappiness and your ability to sort of get in there. And, you know, you're talking about making those phone calls back then. What else do you think are sort of the key things besides scrappiness? I mean, I read a quote where you said that you have to be overly optimistic in order to really be the entrepreneur. I mean, what do you think is is sort of those key pieces? Oh, well, I totally, of course, I remember what you're saying, because I believe it. I always make this joke that entrepreneurs have bad judgment. And I don't mean that as an insult. I think it's a positive, but that, you know, really, if we had good judgment, who would ever like you, like who would ever start their own business? Like most businesses fail. It makes no sense. So I think we see the world like beyond glass half full, like, you know, beyond that, like it never occurs to me that something's not possible. 
I always say I'm a cockeyed optimist. I, I believe in businesses. I love the early stages of businesses. As, as you know, like today, now that I've sold my brand, I invest in business, in small businesses like that. I mean, of course it's risky, but I don't, I, it's almost like my brain can't compute that. Yeah. So, and I do think that entrepreneurs share that in common. I think that they, you know, I always joke about, again, it's an old commercial, but in my generation, we all know it, you know, sort of being energizer bunnies. Like there's no concept of like, you know, if people, when people talk to me about, I used to joke about it, like about me time or relaxing time or whatever. It's almost like I'm looking at them like they have two heads. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just working all the time. And I absolutely love it. Right. You know, I'm, I, I sleep with my phone by my bed. I'm not recommending this. It's all probably horrible, but like, I don't listen to any of those things about like, turn off your phone, leave it in the other room. I don't like, I I'm looking, I wake up at three in the morning. I'm reaching for my phone. I want to see if something going on. I might send if you know, when I owned Liz Lang, I would be sending emails nonstop and texts to you know, different people. Like, you know what we need to do tomorrow? We asked us to do this. Like, did this happen? And then just I think in a consumer, as a consumer facing entrepreneur, so like you're someone that has a brand that deals with customers, I'm always surprised. Like, I think all entrepreneurs, we love our customers. Like I love them. Like when people say, oh, you know, why would you bother? Like, like I like answering, I, I think I told you, I like answering customer emails. I like doing it. Like I genuinely like doing it. I want to do it. Like it helps me in business. I want to connect with Yeah, and you're curious too, right? So it's like, it's great. I, I do too. It's great. Of course. Of course. Like that doesn't surprise me. You wouldn't be the success you are. Like I, you're never too big for that. Like that would be, that would be the day that your business is going to die. You can't be too big for that. So I like that. Like I, when I had stores, I like being in the stores. Like I like being around. And I think that's a key to a entrepreneur who deals with customers success. So then you also sold your company a few years ago. Congratulations. And, and so was that just a huge decision to do that? I mean, what was sort of your, I mean, it sounds like you had this idea probably similar to me where you just thought, okay, let's just get it off the ground. I mean, did you ever think that day was ultimately, you know, going to come? Yeah. I mean, again, like I wasn't terribly sophisticated when I started about business. I wasn't, I didn't know words like exit strategy. I mean, of course I understood what they meant. I mean, I'm, you know, I, but I wasn't thinking about all of those things, investors. I mean, all these things ended up happening and I learned them along the way, but I didn't know them going in. So no, in, I started, to, I went out to raise some more capital, um, actually to roll out more Liz Lang high-end stores. At that point I had licensing deals with Nike and with Target, but I wanted to do more Liz Lang collection stores and the high-end part. Mm -hmm. And I found that rather than being offered money to roll that out, people just kept offering me like to buy the brand. And I hadn't really been thinking that, but then on the other hand, my children were at an age where I felt they needed me more. You know, people always say, oh, but you know, when they were little, that must've been so hard. And it was hard. I'm not going to say that it wasn't, but frankly, and I, maybe this is just self-justification, yeah. <laughs> but uh, rationalization, but I believe that the times that they needed me more was more when they were in high school, that maybe when they were very young, whether I took them to the playground or someone else took them to the playground, maybe it didn't matter as much. Maybe it did, mm -hmm. but I'm just saying, so I really was finding it hard to find the balance between business and motherhood. So I decided to sell. It was, there was something great about it. There was something extraordinarily gratifying about it. Obviously it was, you know, to monetize was incredible. On the other hand, you know, I sold my baby. It yeah. was, it was hard. I was almost in mourning afterwards. I think I was in like shock and mourning, even though I knew what I was doing. I had lived and breathed it for so long. I think I had a hard time letting go of it. 
Yeah. But you stayed on though. They asked you to stay on to really now was the target relationship done at that point? Were, were you already in target or? Oh yeah. I signed with target in 2001. I sold in a 2007. I stayed on throughout the, the remainder of the target relationship was, which ended in 2017. And while I was doing that, I also started up my own new line that wasn't maternity because that I had sold the rights to, but I started a new line for home shopping network. It was just regular women's clothing at a very affordable pricing. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. And so are you, how often are you going to home shopping? You know, I actually wound that when, when home shopping merged with QVC, I decided that I didn't want to be doing that anymore. I was going for 10 years, I went once a month to Tampa where their studios are and sold on air for three days and came home and basically slept for a week because you you sell all night long. It's exhausting. It's exhilarating, but it's exhausting. And at that point, you know, I, I just, I didn't really want to, I loved it. I had loved it, but it was, I was done and I really wanted to focus on investing. And so I spent the last two years doing that. That's awesome. And so full disclosure, Liz is actually an investor in Hinge. We're so excited to have you. So very, very excited to have another great female legend entrepreneur who's invested in, in our company as well. So what do you think are some of the things that you wish you would have known when you were starting this company? When you look back on, on times, you know, like what are some of the things that maybe you would tell your entrepreneurial, you know, best friend, daughter, whatever? Yeah, well... You know, I'll start with the fact that I do think sometimes when it comes to being an entrepreneur that ignorance is bliss. So I'm kind of glad I what we talked totally about earlier. Yeah. It would have been hard for me to have sort of this like crazy enthusiasm and all this optimism if I had really known everything that the way the next 10 years were going to, we're going to, what was going to ensue, although some of it was so much of it was so great. It was probably the most fun ride of my life. But, you know, I wish I had had a better understanding of, numbers. I mean, that that's maybe obvious to most entrepreneurs today, but I, that wasn't my background at all, comparative literature at Brown. So that would have been really helpful, basic uh, accounting. I learned all of this along the way. I wish I had understood, I, I learned that sometimes you hire the people who are the most, most enthusiastic about your brand, who you think are smart and you think are capable, not necessarily the people that come from the background that you think is the perfect background for your brand. Like, like I found I was so much more successful with the people that I ultimately hired who love the Liz Lang brand, lived and breathed the culture, and maybe didn't come from another huge fashion apparel brand because then I felt like maybe they had learned bad habits or they weren't as entrepreneurial or as scrappy. So that was something I learned along the way. I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I talk about that a lot. Like initially I thought, oh, I've got to go hire a bunch of people from Coke and Pepsi and right. they're going to show me how to do this. And I think that the whole point that you just made about bad habits and sort of, you know, they've also been trained a certain way. It's not that they're bad people necessarily, no. it's that it's almost harder to undo some of those, you know, bad habits. And it's not to say that you can't learn some things from those people, but I do. Some of it can be crucial. I was going to say, I've definitely hired people who knew more than me and that was great. But I will say what, what we were just saying, like, I feel like, especially I was the same about Ralph Lauren. I felt if you, if you had been at Ralph Lauren, then that was like such the gold standard yeah. for me. And it is the gold standard and they're fabulous, but I would find that they'd come. And if I'd say like, oh, okay, but what are the buttons for that dress? They'd say, oh, well, some won't somebody like in the notions department or in the 
accessories department, figure out the buttons. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Here, we kind of do everything. Like, uh, by the way, uh, you see me? I'm the fit model. So, no, we don't have different departments and assistants for assistants for assistants. I think I did know this, but it's a piece of advice I think that's helpful is I'm really, I think you also need to, on the other hand, really, really listen to your, there's no point in gathering together a meeting or a team of your senior people or the people that you trust that are your advisors that work for you with you and not listen to what they have to say. Like, I feel like it's very easy, especially as a brand becomes successful to be surrounded by people that are kind of yes people, you know, that are just like, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're you and you've started the brand and the brand is popular. So they're just like, almost like your cheerleaders. And on the one hand, of course, that's, that's lovely. It's wonderful, but it's actually not helpful. You want people that are going to challenge you, that are going to disagree with you, that are not scared of you that, you know, will say, Liz, I think it's a terrible idea. And here's why. So I find that, you know, that was something I found really helpful along the way. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You absolutely, I always talk about hiring people that you want to learn from too, that, and I really push that on my teams internally that I, you know, sometimes have, have said it as, you know, are they smarter than you? And so people initially think like, wait, why did she just ask me that? Does she think I'm stupid or, you know, or whatever? And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I, what I mean by that is like, are you going to learn from them? Because I'm also a huge believer that, you know, if you're in a role as a senior leader and you're just teaching all the time and you're not actually learning, then you're going to get bored too. Right. And so you hire people that you're going to learn from, you know, whether it's, you know, teaching you how to do social media or, you know, or like teaching you how to do online commerce or, or whatever it is along the way. But I think it's a, it's a really, really important piece. And every great leader that I know, like no matter what industry it is, really wants to keep learning, right? It's just life. Totally. So, so, so important. We're actually taping this during a time that is you know, historical in so many ways during shelter in place orders for coronavirus and obviously retailers and, and fashion retailers, it's really tough out there right now. And many stores are, are, all stores are pretty much shut down. And what would you say is sort of like, have you thought about, I mean, if you would have been running your company, I mean, during this time, I mean, what would you do? I mean, what, what is yeah. sort of the, the key components? Well, I think I'd start by saying that I think as an entrepreneur, I think the silver lining is that entrepreneurs are made for this time period in a way mm -hmm. that like entrepreneurs are always, you, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you're somebody that likes a small boat that knows you need to be able to turn on a dime and pivot. So I think for some entrepreneurs, this kind of thing comes naturally. I also think it's not that dissimilar to what the ride is like when you start out anyway, like it is, you know, bumpy as as heck. And, you know, it's not, it's not like any, nothing really ever goes the way that you planned. So this is obviously a big bump. I'd say a few things I'd be doing now, if I still own Liz Lang is of course, conserving cash. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously trying to keep things as essential as possible, but I think this is a real opportunity to connect with your customers at a time where maybe you're not even trying to sell them anything. Mm -hmm. We have rarely seen since sort of the whole social media internet explosion, uh, the opportunity to get so many eyeballs kind of on one in one place. I mean, I feel like I was lucky that I was able to do that in the 90s because the world was different. But look at what's happened today sort of with Tiger King, like how everybody's watching Tiger King on Netflix. I think that's a sort of a good example for brands. So I think this is a moment where I would be thinking like, for instance, I can just give my own brand like, all right, I'd be thinking, so 
moms are home maybe for the first time ever with with their babies maybe moms who were used to having some sort of help or were at the office sometimes now don't and are trying to homeschool and trying to entertain so i'd probably be trying to offer them a bunch of content that was helpful around that i don't know exactly what that would be right now but things helpful because i really think that if you can form this relationship well then that will when you when you're done when this is over which it will be that you might even you know see yourself in a better better place. I also found that every time there was sort of a, a real bump, like, you know, I lived through, I own my brand on uh, September 11th. Mm-hmm. I looked very closely at my budget and I'm not talking about furloughing employees, although perhaps that needs to be done, but I'm talking about just really crossing off line items that didn't feel like essential. I, it made me look at my company in a new way. And I saw like, you know what, we've gotten a little complacent. Like we've let budgets get too big in these certain places. We don't actually need this. And even once the economy bounced back, after uh, 9-11, some of the discipline that we learned during that time period, I always look back on and thought that really helped us. Like that was good. Like we didn't change it. So I do think that there are some opportunities here. Obviously it's a really rough time for many people. So I don't mean to, you know, make it sound, you know, to be Pollyanna about it, although I can tend to be a little Pollyanna that I think, I think there are opportunities here. Yeah, no, I, I do too. I, I think the key thing, I mean, you and I talked for a few minutes before we got on this, but you know, the thing that I see is that if your business does not have multiple forks, right, today, that I think if you're, you know, in our case, if your business is totally reliant on, you know, it's called food service, corporate food service for us, where, you know, all kinds of businesses shut down that were, you know, putting beverages into their micro kitchens or, you know, inside their cafeterias. I mean, that for the last two months is, you know, no one's stocking those micro kitchens or refrigerators. And and I think also that if you, you know, believe, for example, that all your business is in Bergdorf Goodman or all your business is in, you know, your one store, like you need to figure out another path like again stop focusing on what what you did before and instead if this happens again i think every single entrepreneur every single leader should be thinking about can i handle it again can i handle two months of shutdown and maybe that's a good test maybe you should be able to like or as you were saying maybe it's about diversifying. I think right now, which is such an entrepreneurial trade as well, maybe it's about pivoting. Maybe right now, if you're a fashion brand, I mean, I've seen some of them doing it. Maybe you're all about making masks right now. Maybe you're no longer producing dresses. You're producing masks and you're producing the clothing that you know some of our frontline healthcare workers need to be wearing uh, to protect them. Like they're just, I think it's about, you know, maybe radically changing course for a little while, seeing what you could do that could sell right now, even if it's not your specific product, maybe there's a adjacent product. And I think as an entrepreneur, you should always be thinking that way anyway. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. So it's a, it's such an interesting time, but I think it's to your point, it's entrepreneurs are built for this and you should roll up your sleeves and start figuring out like, what do your customers need? What are they saying? Right. So answer those emails. And I think also social media too. I mean, I'm pretty active on Twitter in particular. And I mentioned to you, my dog went through uh, cancer surgery over the last couple of days. And I mean, the number of people that were, you know, I, I laid it out on Sunday night. I said, 
I'm a little like in shock that I'm taking my dog in for the surgery tomorrow. And I mean, hundreds of people like wrote to me and just saying like, you know, Sadie's going to be okay. And I just thought like social media really offers a huge opportunity for the customer or, you know, the would be customer to get to know you too, that, you know, they know that I have four children. They know that I'm going, I'm shelter in place, but because we're an essential product, I'm going into stores once a day with my mask and, you know, I go in fast and I get out fast and things like that. They're, you know, they're watching that and they're saying, wow, you know, I'm also a huge believer that I'd never send my sales team into do, doing something that I wouldn't do myself. You wouldn't do yourself, right. of course. So that's also a big piece of this too. So, so uh, I always ask, but I think you've answered a lot of this. What makes you unstoppable? I think what makes me unstoppable is I don't really see problems. I only see solutions. I'm not saying that my solutions are always right, but problems don't throw me. You know, I don't think of it that way. It's just, it's an opportunity. It's okay, so what are we gonna do about that? And maybe that's the way I even look at COVID-19. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So, and favorite hint flavor? Grapefruit. I love Fizzy. grapefruit too. Yeah, it's, it's so good. I love it. Although I'll share with you, we just were, during this time, we're testing new flavors and we just tested a blueberry lemon, which is unbelievable. I was like, we've got to get this out. Yeah, it's so good. We've been really trying to, you know, get it right. And it's a, uh, Another thing that you do during shelter in place, like it allows you to actually be home and start focusing on what else can we be doing. So it's really, really exciting. Well, thank you so much, Liz. Where can people find you? Um, you mean uh, my, my Instagram is, I, I'm very active on it. It's at Liz Lang official. I don't have my website ready yet, but it's not important because it's really just about my investing. But I'd say Instagram's a great way to uh, get in touch with me. Well, thanks again, Liz. Really excited and uh, really inspiring as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. If you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. 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 unstoppable.